0: All right, Um, well, good morning, my name is Doug, I'm the campus pastor here at Parkview, just want to welcome you, and it's an uh, awesome opportunity to be together and open God's Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to take it out. And to open it up. If you do not have a copy, we have a a couple stands around the room where there are uh, Bibles. Maybe if you you want one, raise your hand. Somebody will probably pass one to you at some point. So um, I would invite you to open to Matthew chapter 11. Um, This morning we're going to be looking at uh, verses 25 through 30. So you can open to Matthew chapter 11 verses 25 through 30. Now in case you missed last week, I just want to let you know, we spoke a little bit about... I'll catch you up to speed a little bit. We spoke last week about the Great Commission. Um, The Great Commission, for some of us, was potentially a familiar passage. Um, It's found at the end of the book of Matthew. Um, After Jesus was crucified and resurrected, we find out that he spent time with his disciples on a mountain in Galilee. And he gave them a mission. He gave them an assignment, a task. And he said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Now as we looked at the task, at the assignment that Jesus has called his church ultimately us to, we said that that passage is primarily about discipleship. It's primarily about making disciples. In that passage we learned last week about the priority of discipleship and the program of discipleship, how it looks, how it works and if you recall, the awesome thing about the end of the Great Commission passage is that Jesus gives us this tremendous, tremendous comfort. A glorious reality. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This, is a, this truth is, is incredibly critical. God's presence and his power in us and working through us is ultimately the picture that Matthew leaves us with at the end of his book. In God's word, we learn that God reveals his heart for the nations. If you remember last week, we spoke about how God's heart is for all the nations, for all the peoples on the face of the earth. God's word also reveals that eventually he will accomplish this purpose, right? The picture we have at the end of time in heaven is that people from all nations, all tribes, all tongues, every color under the sun are worshiping around the throne. He will accomplish it. And what we learned last week also, God's word reveals our role in it, that we have a responsibility. We get to participate in God accomplishing his purpose, now, as a church, Parkview East here, we find ourselves at the beginning of another ministry year. In fact, for us, we're approaching next week. Part of the reason why we're having our kind of fall kickoff next week is because for us, it will be a celebration of one year together. We've been at this thing, Parkview East, for a year now, okay? And so what we're trying to do for the next couple of weeks, well actually this is the last week, we've done it for the last two weeks, is to come around some basic foundational truths that the Bible teaches us about who we are as followers of Jesus. As Christians, as the church, what are some of the most basic, fundamental, foundational truths that make us who we are? Last week we looked at the Great Commission. This week we are looking at what is often referred to as the great invitation, the great invitation. And I'll tell you right now, I wasn't supposed to be talking about this passage, but about midweek, for me, I was, <laughs> I was supposed to talk about something else. But as I got into it, as I thought and reflected about what we talked about last week, for me, these words are critical, critical. Really critical. I want to show you why they're really critical, especially when we contemplate and think about participating in what God has called us to. So, Matthew chapter 11. I'll start in verse 25. We'll read through 30. Our our primary focus today will be in 28, 29, and 30. At that time, Jesus declared... Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me pray. Father God, thank you just for these words this morning, and Lord, I pray, my prayer just for this morning is that as we reflect on your words, Lord, that that we would see you as you are, the God of rest. Lord, I do not know um, what we carry into this room with us this morning. I do not know the pain that we bring here, the frustration, the challenges, the burdens, the brokenness. But my prayer is over the next 20 or 30 minutes, Lord, that we would see, that your people would see your ability to lift that from us. You are the God of rest. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. A number of years ago, I was looking for a second job. Just a little little side hustle, make a little extra cash, You know, take the family on a nice little vacation, looking for a second job. So I called up a friend of mine who um, has an organization in town, and what they do is they provide residential care for adults with disabilities. And so I I called my friend up and I said, hey, any chance you are hiring anybody right now to work in one of these homes? And he said, oh, absolutely. And, And the question he asked me was, at first... Was was kind of shocking. I, I didn't know how to respond. To be honest, all right. He asked me, "Would you like to sleep, or be awake?" And I talked to myself. There was a little pause, a little hesitation. Like, okay, is this a joke? Are you are you kidding me right now? Like, I can make money from you by showing up and sleeping. As, you know, like seriously, it's part of the job description? It absolutely was. It absolutely was. Like, I thought at some point it would be. You know, like. It would come to reality that, no, that's not what this job is about. But sure enough, it was overnight shift, and I could, I could walk into the house with my sleeping bag in one hand and my pillow in another hand, and I could walk in there late at night, do a few things, get a tight eight hours, wake up in the morning, you know, do some eggs, make some eggs, and then be out of my way, right? I could get paid to sleep. Part of the job description was rest. It was amazing. It was amazing, Okay. <laughs> What we learn from this morning's passage is that included in the job description of following Jesus likewise is rest. In fact, this passage gets to the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. My hope this morning is that regardless of where you are on your journey with God, that you will find Jesus' words this morning to be truly, truly refreshing. Now, this can be a challenge for us as we consider what it means to follow Jesus. It is a challenge, truly, within Christianity itself, to see this book, the commands that Jesus gives us, as being rest. You see, if we consider, just even like, look at last week, the Great Commission... Right, and and you contemplate ultimately the task, the job that Jesus has called us to, you would see, you you would look at it and you would see it as being completely unending. Make nations of the entire world, of all nations. Go out and take this message to the nations and make disciples. Like the job never stops. There is always work to be done. And anybody who's at any work in ministry feels this tension, an apparent tension that Christ calls us into his rest and he sends us out to do his work, and the work never stops. And if you're not careful, you lose sight that at its very core, what it means to follow Jesus is it means to be a people who rest. That's ultimately what it means. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We may be tempted, hearing those words, to think that following Jesus is a lot of work. You could take just about any passage, in fact, that we talk about every Sunday morning, and what you could do is you could wrap it up with a sense of duty, slap a bow of obligation on top, and we could leave here thinking that Jesus' words to us, following him is a burden, is a weight, that it is work. What we see this morning is that following Jesus is more like rest than it is work. That's the big idea of the passage To see that, I want to show you two basic things this morning. First, I want to show you that we need what he is offering. Regardless of where you are this morning, you, myself, we need rest. We need it. Secondly, I want to talk just a bit about the nature of the rest that Jesus extends to us. So the need for rest and the nature of rest. First is the need for rest. I said before, this passage is commonly referred to as the great invitation. In order to accept this invitation, you first must feel the need. Do you need rest? Well, what kind of rest is Jesus offering us here? Is this simply some sanctified nap? Like the most glorious? Now, I saw a lot of heads just pop up just then like, yes, please, Jesus, let it be a glorious nap when this man sits down and stops talking to me, Okay. That's not what he's offering. He's not offering us an extended, sanctified nap, the greatest nap ever. That's not the rest he offers us. If that's the case, we'd all be lined up and we'd all be taking part in it, right? This invitation is so on point because Jesus recognizes the need Rest in his audience and the people that he's speaking it to, it's so on point because he knows their need for rest. You see, by extending this invitation, Jesus is speaking to the self righteous people who were burdened down with laws, rules, regulations, and commandments. If ever there were a people who understood what it meant to be burdened, it was these people, it was the Jews. They understood what it meant to. To be burdened. I'll show you just real quick, back in Exodus, if you keep your thumb there, if you've got your Bible open, keep your thumb in Matthew, and flip all the way back to Exodus chapter 5. And I want to show you just real quick what life was like in Egypt when the nation of Israel was there. This is before the deliverance, before they were released from bondage, before Moses led them out. I'm just going to read you a few verses, starting in chapter 5, verses 4 through 9. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. You see, if you were to characterize life in Egypt before the exodus took place, if you were to characterize it with one word, the word would simply be work. That's what life was like for the Jew in Egypt. It was work. It was brick after brick after brick after brick, day after day after day. It was hard work, heavy work. Their value as a people in the land of Egypt was placed on their production. How valuable they were was simply, it was based on their activity, how much they could do, how much they could produce. That's what valued them as a people, brick after brick after brick, work 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 that's who they were we know that they eventually would be delivered out of egypt moses would raise up and he would lead them out of egypt they would go into the wilderness. God would meet them at Mount Sinai. He would give them his, their Ten Commandments. Eventually, they would make their way into the Promised Land where they then would take God's law, these Ten Commandments, and it was an opportunity for them to live the law out so that other people around them, nations around them, could see the character of these people living this law, and they could get an idea, a picture, a glimpse of what God in heaven was in like, was what, what he was like. That's the way it was designed and intended, but it's not the way It played out if we pay attention to the history what we learn is that eventually what happens is that these laws this commandment which was designed to be something they delighted in became a duty it became an obligation and the religious leaders of the day weighed heavy on the people They go back to the exact same spot that they were in in Egypt, heavy burdens to bear, lots of hard work. Only this time, the slave driver wasn't demanding more bricks. This time, it was the religious leader demanding they obey more laws. You see, now the law was weighing on them. The law was the burden for them. Jesus describes this later in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4. He says, They, referring to the Pharisees and scribes, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. These burdens were weighing them down, they were crushing God's people. It was in this setting where these people were exhausted, weighed down, burdened. It was in this setting that Jesus' words offer relief in the midst of this culture of duty and obligation of work and bondage to religion jesus offers exactly what they needed they needed rest and it's exactly what we need see if we're not careful we can do the exact same thing if we aren't careful we can take the word that we talk about here on a Sunday morning. We can take the great commission or the great commandment. We can take the law and we can do the exact same thing. We can take Jesus' words themselves and we can turn them into a weight that weighs on our shoulders, that holds us down. We can see it as, a, as duty and obligation. We can assess our value as a people by how much activity I'm involved in. How many boxes can I check on the Christian to-do list? We can do the exact same thing. We can do the exact same thing. We need to rest, especially in this culture where, where our phone is going off nonstop, where people are calling us continually, asking things from us, when there, are, there is a, a sense of, of continual activity is what's expected from each and every one of us, Jesus' words to us this morning could not be more on point. We need rest. We need it. We need it. So quickly, the nature of rest... There's two things, two types of rest that we get at in this passage, two different types. The first is the saving rest of Jesus, the saving rest of Jesus. If you look now in verse 28, where he says, come to me, I'm just going to pick apart that first verse 28 and the phrases. The first thing is he says is, come to me. The invitation is very unique. It's not an invitation to an event. It's not an invitation to to a program, or even a philosophy. It is an invitation to a person. The Pharisees preached "Do." Jesus preaches come. They tried to take people, follow rules and traditions, but what we understand is that true salvation is found only in the person of Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist saw him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our remedy for sin isn't found in our effort or our ability or our performance. Our remedy, the way we fix the sin problem that you and I share together, it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is... See, the amazing thing about these words is that Jesus gets to say, if you are, if you are a parent in here, if you are an educator or a therapist or any sort of involved in any kind of social work at all, Jesus gets to say the things that every one of us wish we could say. As a parent, I wish I could be the answer for my kids. I wish I could just simply be exactly what they need. But I can't do that. As an educator, we wish the exact same thing. That we can give our children, the people who we care about, those around us who may need something, friends, neighbors, family members, we wish we could be enough. Jesus is the only one who gets to say that. Come to me. As we love those well around us, the most loving thing we can do is point them to Jesus. That's ultimately what our job is. As a parent, point them to Jesus as a grandparent point them to Jesus that's ultimately what it takes no one else can say that only Jesus can say that come to me all who labor and heavy laden who is the invitation for in a sense it's for everyone but in another sense it's not for everyone see Jesus when he got done praying uh, to the father he says thank you Sorry, he just got done praying to the Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children, right? There there are a type of, there's a type of person that doesn't, that won't receive the rest that Jesus extends. There is a type of person that will reject his message. In fact, where these words fall is just in the middle of a passage where Jesus had had finally sent out the disciples to the countryside to take the message of the gospel. And they came back and do you know what they found out? That people were rejecting the message. That people were not receiving the message that Jesus was sharing. So in a moment where he could be discouraged, where where he could be, what what is going on? How could this happen? How could people be rejecting? Jesus thanks the Father that he has revealed it to a certain type of person and he has hidden it from another type of person. See, he recognizes the sovereignty of God and the role of our salvation. See, the truth is the type of person that, that will not receive This saving gift, rest, is the type of person who thinks they don't need it, first and foremost. They think that they are good to go. They don't see a problem in their life. They don't understand sin and how it works in their life. So they reject it. They don't get it. But the type of person that will receive it are those who recognize their need, and they won't And they they recognize their need for sin, and their response is to run to Jesus, is to draw near to him. Two phrases describe those who will respond, those who labor, this is the active form, working hard to obey every law in hopes to gain acceptance from God, and those who are heavy laden, this is the passive form, where their soul has been burdened to bear the load of its own sin. And what does he promise? What does he say? He says, I will give you rest. I will give it. This is a gift. Our responsibility is simply to receive the gift. It can't be earned. It's not something we deserve. It's freely given, and we joyfully receive it. He gives us rest from the burden and punishment of sin. So there's a saving side to his rest, but there's also a sustaining side to his rest. His rest saves us, but the awesome thing about walking with Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, is his rest doesn't just something we receive at salvation, it's something that keeps us going throughout our life. As we walk with him, we receive rest continually. It also sustains us. The difference is that the saving rest is simply received. It's a gift that we receive. Sorry, the saving rest is a gift that we receive. The sustaining rest is one that is discovered as we progress in our relationship with him. This is a rest that is learned, and it comes primarily from sitting at the feet of Jesus. Having been pardoned and saved the Christian throughout the course of their life discovers more and more rest. See, the image that Jesus uses here to illustrate the sustaining rest is he offers us is a yoke. Take My yoke, he says. A yoke was a large wooden frame that would couple oxen together. Often one of the oxen would be stronger, would be older, more experienced in the field than the other. This is a way to not just share the load, share the burden, but also to train one oxen after another. I have two dogs now, and when I walk them, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but my hope is the same thing, that the young dog will learn from the old dog how it's supposed to walk. Doesn't always work, but that's the hope. How it's supposed to, you know, like for example, the first day that we had the dog in our house, the puppy in our house, our older dog is like 11 years old and our little baby, Noel, was crawling around on the floor and, and, and Eddie, the young puppy, was excited and sorry and started going over there and started nipping and you know, kind of doing a puppy thing and kind of got her spooked and our older dog, Kenya, went right in, stood right in between them and just went like this. And since that day, there has not been another issue legitimately has not been another issue. The dog showed her, that's cool with me, but not with her, right? And that's the idea of the yoke and the oxen. The older will teach and show the ways for the younger. By coming into the yoke with the stronger ox, the weaker ox would learn to obey the master's voice. This imagery was used to describe, ultimately, discipleship. So not just oxen work in the field, but they would also, in the day, use it to describe what a discipleship relationship would look like. That they would learn that by taking the yoke of a teacher, you would learn from the teacher. You would understand how life is to be lived. You would try to imitate and reflect the stuff that you would see that teacher, the way that they would live their life. And this is what gets to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Coming to Jesus isn't just something that happens, um, it's not just saying a prayer as the result of an emotional response, maybe, or experience, or, or being convinced by an, an intellectual argument. It's about recognizing your inability to save and sustain yourself. It's being real with who you are and what you can do and what we need. Recognizing that the only hope that we have in life and death is that we are belong to Him. He saves us, and as a Christian, He sustains us. He invites us in. When we are yoked with Christ, we walk with Him. We learn from Him. We live like Him, and we give to Him the burden of our sin and guilt. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He saves us, but He also sustains us it's a glorious reality and it's one that we need to know day after day after day after day like i said before oftentimes we can do the exact same thing the nation of israel did we can take the requirements that jesus puts us puts on us and we can see them as a law that bind us that weigh down on us not as something that give us life that's ultimately the life that jesus has called us to one that is marked primarily By rest. Do you know the rest? In this text, we're given a quick test. There's a variety of different ways you can check your heart and check your life and ask yourself this question. Do I know the saving rest? First and foremost, you can't have peace. You can't understand the peace of God until you have peace with God. Okay? So have you received saving rest from Jesus? When he says, come to me, have you come to him? Okay? But as a believer, as a follower, somebody who's done that, you can ask yourself simply, do I know the sustaining rest of Jesus? And and, and in the text, we see a quick clue that we can can use to examine our own hearts. Jesus describes his heart like this. He says, for I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart. Now, this is the only place in all of Scripture where Jesus tells us anything about his heart. Anything that we learn about Jesus' heart is right here. There's no other place in Scripture where he talks about his own heart. If we are yoked with him, then we should look like him. Eventually, we should grow in our imaging of him, and our reflecting of who he is. Would you? So the simple test is this. As he describes his heart as being gentle and lowly, would you describe your heart as being gentle and lowly? If you can honestly say right now, I don't think I would just, or go a step further, would your wife, your husband, your children, your neighbor, your mother, would they describe your heart as being gentle and lowly? And if you're like me, there's probably a few of those. I'd say, oh yeah, they would, but I don't think he would, (laughs) or maybe she wouldn't. And if that's the way you answer the question, then the response is simple. simple. You need to know the sustaining rest of Jesus. You need to yoke yourself to him. Discover the peace of God. To evaluate your life, does your life look like his? As you're yoked with him, it should. That's what it looks like to have the sustaining and experience the sustaining rest that Jesus has to offer us. See, kind of just in conclusion, my concern and I've said it several times, is that the way we can deal with contemporary Christianity is no different than how the Jews in Jesus' day were dealing with Judaism, being a people of God. What Jesus invites us to is a life of rest, not one marked primarily by work and activity. This is the glorious reality of the gospel. This is the king of the universe. And he invites us to come and to know that he is good, to rest in him, to take the burdens of sin off of our shoulders. He bore them on the cross and to rest fully in him. The awesome thing about this invitation is it does not expire, doesn't expire. As long as you have breath in your lungs, the invitation does not expire Jesus says, the book, uh, Revelation says, chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him, and I will eat with him, and he will be with me. He will come to us. He invites us. He invites us. The the only expiration date is based on how much breath you have left. That's the RSVP date. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm terrible at RSVP and events and weddings and things like that. But the the date is marked by your life. As long as you have breath, this invitation is still good. Do you know the rest of Jesus? Psalm 62, I just want to leave us with these two verses. Psalm 62, verse 1 through 2 says this. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. That's the God that we get to rest in, one who will not be shaken. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you um, just for this truth this morning, Lord, that you offer your people rest, Lord. And I pray for those of us who do not know that right now and who need to know that, who need to experience that, Lord. I pray that you would help us see places in our life maybe where we are relying on our own ability or our own activity, Lord, and that we would recognize that the work has already been done, that you have already accomplished on the cross what is needed. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you offer to lift the burden off of our shoulder and that for those of us who may feel the weight of it crushing us, Lord, I pray that this morning as we, as we just think about what you have done, what you offer us, Lord, I pray that we would see and know the freedom that comes in walking with you, Father, and being yoked to you we ask these whole, these things in your holy and precious name Amen